let us now read together from what we confess in our Reformed Confession to Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 1. You can find that on page 519. There we have God's word summarized as follows. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 64, the stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we start once again at the beginning of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why? You know, you will know the answer to that if you know why it was written in the first place. It's a fascinating story. Frederick III ruler of a most influential German province in the empire, requested two young men to write this catechism. A young man by the name of Caspar Olivianus, who was only 26 years old, and who was also Frederick's court preacher, and Zacharias Ursinus, who was only 28 years of age, and who, like Caspar, was a professor at the Heidelberg University, were appointed to take up this task. Frederick III was a devout Christian, and he wanted to make sure that the people understand the Christian religion. He knew that the Roman Catholic Church had wandered a long way from the truth of the scriptures, and that therefore the people needed to be instructed. He wanted to make sure that the people learned the true Christian faith, the Reformed faith. For that purpose, he needed a little book that would set forth in a concise and clear way those biblical doctrines. It would have to be written in such a way that everyone would be able to understand it. It has to appeal not just to the young people, but also to the adults. 
And that's exactly what they did. These two young men did a wonderful job. These authors had received a good education and were thoroughly familiar with the Bible and with other books of instruction of the Christian faith. And they used all that knowledge in order to produce this catechism. They kept it to the essentials of the Christian faith. What did the people have to know? Well, the Apostles' Creed had been part of the Christian faith for a long time. That is how Christians confess their faith throughout the ages. And so a large part of the catechism had to deal with an explanation of the Apostles' Creed. The people also had to know how to conduct themselves over against God and their fellow man. And that is why he gave them an explanation of the Ten Commandments. Furthermore, an important part of man's life was his prayer life. And so he also put in a section which explains each statement of the Lord's Prayer. How do you teach this? The best way to do this is by the question and answer method. The teacher poses a question and then the students supply the answer. And that's also how they compose the Heidelberg Catechism. They put it in the form of questions and answers. They made sure that the questions were relevant and concise and that the answers were not too long. In this way, the Heidelberg Catechism would be an excellent teaching tool. But how do you organize this material? Well, as I said, Casper and Asinus were well-versed in the scriptures, and they found that Paul's letter to the Romans lent itself the best as a model for them to follow. For you see, the book of Romans deals in the first three chapters with our sin and misery, and in the chapters 4 through 11 with our redemption through Jesus Christ, and the chapters 12 through the end of the book with our thankfulness. It was a masterful stroke on their part to follow that same division. They kept the division found in the scriptures themselves, and in this way gave an excellent summary of the Bible. Soon this little book that came to be known as the Heidelberg Catechism became very popular. It was originally written in the German language and in Latin. And after having been quickly adopted by the Synod of, in Heidelberg, it was published with a preface by Frederick III in 1563. It also became widely known in the Netherlands and was translated in the Dutch language and published there three years later. The Catechism became so popular that half a century later, the Synod of Dort made it part of the three forms of unity. From then on in, it became the custom to use the Heidelberg Catechism in the afternoon service in the Reformed churches. This afternoon, we deal with the first Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism is divided into 52 Lord's Days. This was done so that the whole catechism could be dealt with in a whole year. Some people speak of the Heidelberg Catechism as the Book of Comfort. That is because of the way that the Heidelberg Catechism starts off. For it begins by asking what our comfort is both in life and in death. That is what sets the scene for the whole book. And that is also what their theme is for the whole book. 
Our comfort is that we belong to Jesus Christ who saved us. There is no other comfort in this world. That is what the Bible is all about, and that, therefore, is also what the Heidelberg Catechism is all about. And that's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon, namely about our only comfort in life and death. We will see that it is, in the first place, a certain comfort, and in the second place, a personal comfort. It is very interesting that the Heidelberg Catechism begins by asking us about our comfort. It's somewhat unexpected. You would think that the authors would begin by asking about God, who he is, what he does, and how we relate to him. The Catechism doesn't do that, however. It asks about our comfort. For the authors know that by asking about our comfort, then we are immediately driven to acknowledge God. It wants to draw attention to our immediate needs. Think about the way the catechism begins. The first question itself is actually quite impertinent and intrusive. For it asks about your only comfort in life and in death. Most people do not want to think about death. And they do not want to make a choice between the one comfort or the other either. For there are all kinds of comforts in this world. Man needs to seek comfort in so many different ways. Due to sin, there are so many things lacking in this life, and so man feels incomplete. He is forever on the hunt, looking for something to make him feel better. A child seeks comfort from his parents. A man seeks it from his wife, and a wife from her husband. Some people seek comfort in their job, in their recreation, or in their surroundings. They also seek it in food and drink. Some people are in such pain or are so intent on seeking comfort that they try to find it in a bottle or in drugs. Others seek comfort in power or in money. There are all kinds of comforts. Life is a veil of tears. We're always confronted with pain disease, and death. And so we are driven to seek comfort. But now the Catechism asks us about our only comfort. This is not asked of unbelievers. It is asked of believers. The question is asked of you and of me. For we as Christians are prone, like the rest of the world, to seek comfort in the wrong places. The authors of the Heidelberg Catechism are concerned with our souls. Where do you go for your comfort? What is the only comfort in your life, brother or sister? That is the question that the Heidelberg Catechism asks. And they want you and me to give the answer, personally. Now, most of us have memorized this answer as we have it here in Lord's Day 1. You may have forgotten most of the other answers to the Heidelberg Catechism, but this is one of those Lord's Days that sticks with us. Most of you can rattle this answer off by heart, for it is one of the most popular questions and answers of the Heidelberg Catechism. These are meaningful words. 
However, the authors want to know whether or not you also live by those words. Your only comfort, they ask. What is it? In other words, the same question asked this morning, what is the most important thing in your life? What is the focus in your life? What is the thing that you seek most after? How is it with your soul? Do you just repeat these words or do you also live by those words? For there is only one comfort and it is that comfort that you must seek. As I said earlier, that does not mean that there is only one comfort here on earth. No, we also seek the comforts that this life can bring. But none of these things will satisfy you. They only give temporary relief. And therefore you have to seek the only comfort. What is it? The question is asked of everyone, no matter what situation you find yourself in. Whether you are ill or in good health. Whether you are rich or whether you are poor. Whether you have one foot in the grave or whether you stand on the threshold of life, whether you are a child, or whether you are an adult. As a matter of fact, this question is probably more easily answered by a little child, rather than an adult. The Lord Jesus does not say for nothing that the kingdom of God belongs to little children. A child's faith is simple. A child of believing parents does not question the existence of God. And he or she does not question the fact that everything comes from God's fatherly hands. And so what is the answer to this most important question? Well, little children give the answer to this question when they say that, when they sing that little tune, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. For the Bible tells me so. That is the gospel in a nutshell. The Catechism says practically the same thing. I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He loves me, and I belong to him. It's a simple answer. Yet, it is so profound. There are many learned theologians who have never even come close to grasping that wonderful truth and the great meaning of those words. Think about those words for a moment. I am not my own. That little phrase speaks volumes. For what does it tell you? It tells you that you, he tells you and me that we may not seek our salvation in ourselves. We can't. There is no salvation in man. As you know, the Catechism was written right after the Great Reformation. The Roman Catholic Church taught that man himself could add to his salvation through good works. He had to cooperate with God. But now the answer to the important question about our comfort starts off with the statement that we are not our own. That is quite a statement. It means that we are not our own saviors, nor that we in any way can add to our own salvation. We need to be delivered from ourselves. 
because of the sin that lives within us. And that answers in great contrast to what the world teaches. For that reason, we may not just pass over this first little statement of the Heidelberg Catechism so easily. It is a very profound and important statement. For what do we hear all around us? We hear all around us about man's rights. Man has a right to freedom. That means he can do whatever he wants. If a woman wants to get an abortion, then she should be able to get one. If two people of the same sex want to get married, then that should not be a problem. You have that right. If you want to get a divorce, you should be allowed to do that. No one should interfere with that. Man is constantly fighting for his own rights. Man has become an island to himself. He is accountable to himself in the first place. He must seek his own welfare. And he has to have his own interests in mind first before he has the interests of others in mind. And that is why you will have many, many books that will tell you that you must be true to yourself. That's how you find happiness. That's the philosophy of the world. But now the Catechism says that we do not belong to ourselves. We belong with body and soul to our Lord. We cannot be our own Savior. God can only save you through Jesus Christ. And the only rights we have are the ones given to us by the Lord God himself. Do you know what great comfort there is in those words? It means that we do not have to determine for ourselves what is best for us. God decides that. It also means that we do not have to earn our own salvation. You receive your salvation free of charge. It means, therefore, that we do not have to be afraid whether or not we measure up. Whether or not our faith is good enough. Or anything about us is good enough. Good enough. What a tremendous freedom that gives us. And what a comfort. Our salvation doesn't depend on us. Luther, before he came to his conversion, tried everything in his power to try to appease God. And in the end, he realized that he couldn't. He came to the conclusion that even his best works are defiled with sin. But that's what drove him to despair. He came to the realization that he does not belong to himself, that there are no redeeming qualities in man. And then his eyes were opened. Only God can rescue him from his miserable state. Only he can save you. And he can only do that through his son, Jesus Christ. Through faith we belong to him, body and soul. We belong to him, lock, stock and barrel. And that's also what the Catechism says come to the second point. We are told that Christ fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He brought, he bought us free. This concept was better understood in biblical times for the people of those times were familiar with the slave market. On a slave market, a slave would be bought and sold for a sum of money. Whoever paid the most money for you would also become your owner. 
He would become your master and you would be his slave. From then on in, you belong to him. Now that is what Christ did for us. At one time we belonged to Satan. He was and still is a terrible taskmaster. And as his slave, you have no peace with him. With him you face death and destruction. And then Christ came along and he bought us free. Now we belong to him. But a keen catechism student would ask, Are we not now still slaves? Have we not been sold from one slave owner to another? For we all know that if we belong to Christ, then he wants you to do his will. And so how now does that set us free? What has changed? We have gone from one taskmaster to another. Young people who want to make profession of their faith also ask that question sometimes. There are those, even though they are of the age, to take responsibility for their own actions, who are reluctant to make profession of their faith. They can vote, they can live on their own, yet they do not want to take this step at this point in their life. For they believe that there are still some wild oats that they have to sow. Or they say they are not ready. They have to get an education first. Or they have to grow up first. Or they don't have enough knowledge yet. Really? Well, don't think that once you make profession of faith, that then your relationship to God changes in some dramatic way. No, when you were baptized, God already made his claim on you. That's already when he said to you that you belong to him, that you do not belong to anyone else. At that time, he put his sign and his seal on your forehead. All you do when you make profession of your faith is to acknowledge that fact, that you now also realize that you do belong to him, that you do not belong to the devil. For you see, it is not possible to exist on some neutral ground, as if there is some no-man's land between Satan and the Lord. That no-man's land only exists in the minds of those who fool themselves. There are only two kinds of people here on this earth. Those who belong to Satan and those who belong to God. If you think and know that you belong to God, why not confess that and be committed to that? But now the question about your freedom. Is it really true that when you belong to Christ that then you're not free? A lot of people think that freedom exists when there are no boundaries. But they confuse the two. For you see, you cannot exist without certain boundaries. Think of a fish in a bowl. I've used this example before, but it doesn't hurt to use it again because it makes the point so well. As long as a fish is in its bowl, then he is free to go wherever he wants within that bowl. Within the boundaries of that bowl, he is safe. But what happens when you take away those boundaries? The fish will die. And those boundaries are there to keep the water in and to keep the fish from spilling out. The bowl is not his prison. The bowl is his protection. Well, that is also the way it is with those who belong to Christ. 
Christ has set boundaries for our existence. And when you go outside of those boundaries, then you will die. Outside of those boundaries exists Satan. And with Satan there is death and destruction and evil and turmoil. When you belong to Christ, then you are within the safe boundaries that he has set. It is true, of course, that that does limit you somewhat. It is true that when you belong to Christ, that then you must also do his will. But those limitations, those boundaries are there for your own good. When you ignore those boundaries, then you put your life in danger. Beloved congregation, we live in a dangerous world. Satan wants to lure us away from our safe boundaries. He whispers in our ears. He tempts us. And sin itself has also made us weak and vulnerable. Sin has also made us all prone to disease and death. That's the way it was with those people in Corinth. They lived in one of the most immoral cities of that time. There was all kinds of sexual immorality and drunken orgies. But then they became converted. They became Christians. They were saved from that sinful lifestyle. However, that did not mean that they would be without any trouble in their lives. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, that's when their troubles began. They were shunned by society. It became harder and harder to make a living. And they faced all kinds of troubles. It's also what happened to Paul. As soon as he became a Christian, he had to suffer through all kinds of things. He was beaten and imprisoned and abused and ridiculed. He had to live a life of poverty. He lived under the constant threat of being arrested or stoned or even killed. But now look at how he sings praise to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls him the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all troubles. You see, Paul had come to realize that. As Daniel and his friends before him did, they realized that the comforts of this world were nothing worth, were not worth keeping if it meant to throw away your only comfort. And brothers and sisters, there's only one comfort. Oh sure, in this life we need all kinds of comforts. We need the comforts that good relationships can bring. We need the comforts of a good home, of loving parents. We need to be relieved from pain and sorrow. We need the comforts of food and drink. But those comforts do not last. In the beautiful form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we read that Christ has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. His spiritual food and drink are the only comfort in life and death. Christ alone can supply you with what you need, for he gives you eternal life. He promises you that the time is coming, that there will never again be anything lacking in your life. You will not be seeking comfort any longer, for you have it, and it will last forever. And so what is your answer to the question of the Heidelberg Catechism? 
What will you say when you are asked, what is your only comfort in life and death? You will, of course, say that you belong to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's my only comfort. Do you also live out of that comfort? Think about that, brothers and sisters. Think about it today and in the coming week. It's an important question to answer every day of your life. Amen.